Hello and welcome to another edition of Ask the Experts here on City News 570. I'm joined today by Faisal Suziwala. Faisal is Canada's top real estate broker. He is also ranked within the top five in the world for REMAX. Faisal started his career at the young age of 18. He's been delivering outstanding results for over 30 years now, most notably with REMAX Twin City Realty. The man knows what he's talking about. He's here to give us some of his time today. Hello and welcome again, Faisal. Hi, Brock. How are you? I'm well, and yourself? I'm very well, thank you. Great to hear. Listeners, if you're interested in any of the information we discuss over the next hour, please reach out to Faisal. You can start your journey at homeshack.com. You can call him directly at 519-624-5555 or by email at Faisal at homeshack.com. Later in the show, I'd love to come back and uh, talk with you about your book, Faisal, The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. Uh, the book is currently available on Amazon, on Audible, and on Kindle as well. But in the meantime, so much to talk about over this next hour. Faisal, are you able to provide us with a, with a market update? What's happening out there currently? Well, you know, it's an interesting time that we're facing right now. We're after our seventh uh, interest rate hike of the year. Uh, the market seems to have started accepting where we're at. And, you know, there was the initial shock of these rising rates. Uh, and what we're finding now, people have just sort of come to an understanding that, okay, this is going to be kind of where we're going to be sitting for the next little while. And there is a little bit of confidence back in the marketplace where people are getting back into the market, starting to buy homes again. Uh, it's interesting, um, you know, sales-wise, uh, generally we are down right now uh, and that's to ex be expected because of the season as well right. however there are still people out there just recently i had a home listed in dune where we received 15 offers and i'm still doing the same strategy as before where i'm lowering the price on the ask to encourage as many people to come in and we are still selling the way people are accustomed to buying outside of our region so our neighbors in milton mississauga brampton oakville are used to bidding to buy as opposed to offering to buy so i'm still selling in that in that method and it goes to show that if there were 15 offers on a 1.2 million dollar home and one person bought that home there's still 14 people out there that are looking to buy a home in that that's range right. That's right. Uh, similarly i had over uh, 28 offers on a home earlier this afternoon uh oh. which uh was on a five hundred thousand dollar home which ended up selling for six hundred forty thousand dollars and again what was the true value of that home? Probably somewhere between 550 to 575. But using that method, um, we found that we were able to sell it for higher than what it was given the bidding wars. And that also means that there's another 20 people out there that are looking to buy a home between that five to $700,000 range. The strategy um, still works and it still applies, although many realtors have decided to pivot back to traditional marketing, traditional selling. Um, I don't believe that that's the right way to sell, even in this market. Um, I certainly was uh, had adapted that way of selling 15 years ago, and, I, and I've been continuing it to do that way. So I didn't pivot to the traditional way, and I'm finding great success in being able to sell. Now, the rates have slowed people down, there's no question, but the prices have come down to meet the payment. So yes, rates have gone up, Yes, payments going up, but the buyer pool is still the same. And a 
there's an opportunity here in the marketplace today for a thoughtful purchase. You know, you can make a conditional offer, you can do a home inspection, you can do all of those things and not feel that pressure. And I'm right. talking generally speaking. So, you know, on average, we're still finding that um, people are having that confidence and they're saying, do I really want to put all my money into rent for the next year or do I get into the market? And if you're playing the long game, you know, the three to five years from now, I think you're going to be very, very pleased that you purchased. Uh, do speak to a mortgage broker and get some consultation on how long you should fix your rates for. Personally, I believe that two, two years, maybe three years is all you should fix your rate for because I don't expect these rates to remain as high as they are longer than that time. You mentioned that idea of of tapping into those uh, those customers in areas like like Mississauga and Oakville. Years ago, maybe the the, the KW region, our the Waterloo region, might have been seen almost like uh, almost like the boonies back, uh, you know, say 15, 20, 25 years ago. But it doesn't seem to be that way anymore. Where people are willing to say. They're, they're willing to make that extra drive and, and they know that we have the infrastructure. They know that we have everything else that, that someone would be looking for in a, in a great place to, uh, to own a property. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I, I've been doing this now for 35 years and I've said from day one that our region is so undervalued in comparison to our neighbors to the east. And now we're seeing the valuations really come up. So if you look at March of 2020 to March of 2022, we had a 62% gain in our marketplace where the national average was about 42%. So we gained 20% uh, higher than most of the other regions. So our trajectory and our speed was much, much faster than some of our neighbors because all of a sudden we became fashionable to live in. Uh, De-urbanization, um, quality of life, work at home, all of those things contributed to awareness of our region. And I mean, we've got such a beautiful region to live in and all the amenities do exist here. And, um, you know, that work-life balance does exist. And even if there's a hybrid situation where you have to go into the city two or three times a week, um, it still allows for you to get so much more bang for your buck in this region than you would anywhere else. And that's why, you know, when we see this reduction happening in valuations and whatnot, yes, we've dropped over 35% from the highs there's no question about that but we also gained 62 percent from the lows that's right that's right we're, we're still much further ahead than we were when we, we take a look and and it's 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 good for us to be able to circle back to that when we take a look at interest rates you've mentioned this already seven increases over this year so far um are those higher rates actually working in the fight against inflation in, in your mind Okay, so that's a very interesting question, because if you look back to April of this year, April of 2022, inflation was at 6.8%. Okay, now we've had six rate increases since April, and we had one in March. So the rate, the inflation rate today is 6.9%. I truly believe we're fighting the wrong enemy here. Right. You know, and we're using the wrong tool. So there's got to be other tools in the Bank of Canada's toolbox to fight, fight inflation, like fight supply chain. You know, let's look at supply chain. Let's look at what's going on. And, you know, this whole concept of let's 
increase the interest rates in order to um, control inflation isn't the answer. Those are antiquated policies of 1970s and 1980s, where you know inflation was at 12% in the late 70s, and interest rates had to be at 80, sorry, it had to be at 20% in order to create a reduction in the inflation. Now, we're trying to get the inflation down to 2%. So where are we going to have to be? And it just goes to show that if in April the rates, the inflation rate was 6.8%, you've had six consecutive increases in your interest rate. And today's interest rate, or sorry, inflation rate is at 6.9%. So where, where is the benefit? What has happened? I'll tell you what has happened. Food cost has gone up. Fuel cost has gone up. Rent has gone up. So, you know... Tiff Macklin's policy, and he's resolute in this because Bank of Canada clearly does not want to have egg on their face. So mm -hmm. they're saying, this is what you were going to do. We're committed to this. And they don't want to sort of, you know, they oversteered in the reduction of interest rates in the beginning, right. which drove tons of money into the market, which created lots of demand, ate up all the supply. So it's a supply chain issue, really. It's not, it's not what they're doing now. Now they're oversteering on the other way. And they're increasing too much, too fast, creating a crisis for people who were on variable rates. If you go back to March uh, of this year, Brock, um, or, or last year, sorry, it was stated that the interest rates will remain low for a long, long time. Mm. Well, whatever happened to that? Right. You know, right. all of a sudden that went out the door and now the, the interest rates are being rapidly increased because they feel that that's the only tool that they have to control inflation. And I think they've got it all wrong. And there has to be, look, I'm not an economist, but I can see what's happening. I can see in real time what's happening to real folks. I haven't seen bank repossessions or power of sales in probably six to seven years. I've done two in the last month, wow. unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. And it, it's like we're going back in time and you, you look at what had happened as well back in, in 2008. In your mind, do you see rates continuing to rise or are things going to level off when we head into 2023? It really is worrisome when I hear words like, you know, Tiff uh, Macklin saying that, you know, he's resolute in this in this and it's going to be painful for a little while and it's going to it's going to hurt in the short term but it prolongs uh it, you know it curves the prolonged pain by by is like ripping off the band-aid but you know what what is the what is the fallout from this the fallout is horrendous so on one hand people cannot afford to keep their homes because their variable rates are being locked in at two three times what they were expecting their payments have gone doubled or tripled since what they had expected so now they've got to sell their home at possibly a loss, they have no equity left, and then they got to go into a rental situation where the rentals have gone up 30% because the herd mentality of our population is, hey, nobody's buying, I'm not going to buy. Everybody's buying, I'm going to jump in. You know, so that has created this massive amount of demand on rental properties. And again, a lot of sellers are saying it's, you know, the market is down right now. Instead of selling my investment properties or selling my own home, I'll rent it out. So this is just a vicious cycle of so many unknown factors and really some, something needs to be done. I don't have the answers to what that is, but I do believe that rising interest rates on a regular basis is not going to be the answer because it's just going to put people, yeah, you want people to stop spending, but the essentials, food, gas, rent, 
clothing. Those are like just the basic essentials need to be taken care of. And those costs are soaring. Right. And, and, and that those things keep spiraling as well, too. Let's take a break here and ask the experts when we come back. I think, Faisal, I think you brought your crystal ball with you. I'm hoping you did anyway. Uh, we want to spend some time gazing into that crystal ball. Take a look at next year. Take a look at 2024 as well, too. Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Walla. Listeners, if you'd like to get a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or email Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, we mentioned this before the break. You brought your crystal ball. What do you see happening when we take a look at, let's say, the next three to six months and maybe a year out or even two years down the road? What, what's going to be happening in your mind? Well, I, I'm expecting, and I'm hoping it won't happen, but I'm expecting that in the first quarter of 2023, we are going to see probably another quarter percent increase in the interest rates. I know that there's a little bit of chatter about this might be it, and we've reached the peak of, of the rates and everything's going to be settled. But, you know, um, the Bank of Canada is just, you know, and, and we said earlier that, you know, Tiff Macklin's just resolute in just using the only tool in their toolbox right now is raising these interest rates in control to control inflation. And as we said earlier, there's got to be other options in there other than that, because I don't believe that that's the only enemy here. There's other options to, to work with. So I do expect that there will be an, at least one other rate hike probably not a half a percent, but at least a quarter percent. Right. And I don't know how that will reflect in the lending rates, because right now, the lending rates are staying pretty stable. You know, we're not seeing major spikes in their lending rates, which is good news. But we've had seven hikes in our rates. So right. it's, it's, it's not sustainable to continue. And as we said, they oversteered one way, lowered too, too quickly, too, too soon. Now they've increased too too quickly and it has zero impact on the inflation rate so um the first quarter rate might go up second quarter i think they will stay stable i believe that by the second and third uh quarter of 2023 we're going to see a leveling off but i don't believe we're going to see declines happen and by the end of 2023 i think there's going to be confidence back into the marketplace people are going to get used to the new levels of pain that they've suffered with these rates and the payments and they're going to be budgeting accordingly um yes you know the idea behind raising rates and controlling inflation is to stop spending and to create more supply and the demand goes down because people are not spending their money because they just don't have the disposable cash to do it. But it is it is causing a lot of pain. And like I said earlier, that it's going to put people into a position where they may lose their homes and then they can't even go and rent because the cost of rent is just as high as the mortgage was. Um, so we are going to see that. But it it's in these moments, um, fortunately or unfortunately, that opportunities do get created. Um, and that's where we're going to see a lot of people and institutions starting to jump in, like companies like Blackstone and 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 there's uh, some other Canadian companies that are institutional investors that are on the stock exchange that are right now looking at our region 
uh, very sharply to pick up as much inventory. And when I say pick up inventory, we're not talking apartment buildings and multiplexes. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the, the home next door because they see the opportunity, they understand the crisis that Canada has. We still have a 1.5 million home shortage in Canada. We have an 80,000 home shortage in the region of Waterloo. Where are these homes going to come from? I was speaking to some builders recently and they're saying there's no way that we're going to construct right now. There's just no way. Number one, the red tape, right? And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Bill 23 in a moment. But number one, the red tape. Uh, number two, the time that it takes to get anything approved. Number three, the cost of land. Number four, the cost of material and supply. So it's, again, a vicious cycle. So in one hand, the government is mandating that we need more homes. That's 80,000 homes in the next eight years. That's a tall, tall order mm -hmm. to fill. Mm -hmm. But it's an order that needs to be filled because to add to this, we have half a million new immigrants, which we truly need That's coming right. into the country because right now there are not enough people. Like you go to most of the services, I call it your local coffee shop. Um, they're short staffed. Restaurants mm -hmm. are short staffed. Everybody is short staffed. Um, where where are all these employees going to come from? They're going to come from foreign uh, places. So now we need to house the added population. But that half a million immigrant status that's coming into our country, um, they're looking at the major centers and Ontario is primary and not only just Ontario, the golden horseshoe, which we are a part of. So people need to live. So we're probably going to like one third of Canada's population resides in Ontario. So that's right. a huge right. number of people that are living in this, in this region. This is where people want to come in and this is where they flourish. And this is where they have their jobs and opportunities. And this is where the cost of living, believe it or not, is still reasonable for what they're getting. So I, I do believe that we're going to see a lot of investment coming in and you know what, you can try to limit investment, um, but we do need that. Because without that, we're not going to have the supply that's required in order to facilitate the housing needs of the people that are coming to the country. When you talk about the the institutional buyers coming in, let's say you know, and, and you talk about these 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 large corporations that look at a home not as a, you know it's it's not it's not someone's it's not someone's castle it's it's a it's a way to uh, to increase uh, the cash flow. Uh, would would the companies look at this and say, "All right, we've got a two thousand square foot home. Let's turn this thing into uh, you know main level is is one spot to rent out, basements another spot to raise, rent out." Is that what is that what these these organizations kind of uh, put their mind behind? Well, I don't think the initial intent was that. So yes, uh, you know um, these institutional uh, institutions are looking at residential real estate as an investment vehicle now. And, then, right. and it's an investment vehicle that A, has great return, and B, has huge capital appreciation over time. So right. it, it just it's a win-win, and it's a, it's a tangible asset. It's not a stock. It's not some sort of a mutual fund where some executive makes a bad, bad decision and your stock goes to zero. This is a tangible asset. Um, so these institutions are looking at it and saying, okay, um, let's buy these residential properties. Bill 23 is going to allow them to add the secondary unit in the basement. Right. right. And not only that, it's going to allow them to add 
the auxiliary or the additional home in their backyard if that's what they choose to do. So, you know, you've got 750 square feet that you can get another 15 or $1,800 a month on the backyard. You've got 15 or 1800 in the basement and you've got $2,500 on the main floor. So that's a pretty great return, especially in our region when you look at seven or $800,000 home can accommodate those three items very comfortably. It's good to know. And it's in, and, and, you know, we talked about this before those, what look like handwritten letters get put in your mailbox, right? Uh, they're, uh, they seem enticing at the time, but uh, sometimes if it sounds too good to be true, that's exactly right. Uh, can, can you talk a bit about Faisal right now? What's the cost of borrowing? What are we, what are we dealing with right there right now? So, I mean, the published rates are, you know, if you go into Scotiabank, for example, the, the published rate right now for five years is 6.34. Now, they will discount that uh, up to half a percent typically. So you're around 5.85 in that range. And, and you, you know, depending on your relationship with the bank, you might get between 5.5 to 5.75 for a five-year rate. Right. Um, again, I'm, I'm cautioning people on... Uh, you know, locking in for five years. Just over over my career, I've seen a few recessions, and and I I find that the bank's policy is to convince people to lock in for five years, but then in two years the rates go down. Now you've got a huge penalty to pay to get out of that mortgage. So I think if you if you go two to three years, you're pretty safe. I don't expect the rates to fall sooner than that, and but when they do. And if they don't, I don't think they're going to be much higher than that either. So just to be on the safe side, two to three years. But again, I'm not a mortgage broker. I would speak to your banker to confirm. But that's in and around that five and a half to six percent is what you can expect today. And that's important for uh, for people that are listening. If you're if this is something that you're uh, looking at, you know, it's it's uh, the season of giving, and you're thinking about giving yourself a new place to live. Uh, make sure that uh, you do your homework as well, too. We do need to take a break. Uh, we'll get an update from the City News 570 News Center. When we come back, can we talk with Faisal, the author? Does that work for you? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Sounds great. Don't, don't, don't do anything. We want you to stick around for a little while and uh, stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Suziwala. If you would like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, faisal at homeshack.com. Before the break, Faisal, we spent a little bit of time talking about institutional buyers, and you were helping me to understand what it is that uh, that would be in their minds coming into the region of Waterloo and and uh, and looking to start buying up the homes that might be my neighbor's home. What do you think is the end goal for these these larger organizations? Well, I believe that their their end goal is to have a long term uh, portfolio that's giving you know dividends and returns, and probably a lot of these are REITs as well. So there there's going to be uh, it, it's it's a long term plan, planning, but the exit on that could be. Uh, once the values rise 30, 40% over the next seven to 10 years, they may exit and take, that's a very good return over, over time. That's a very stable return. But something unique is in happening in our region that a lot of people may not realize. When a developer or builder, for, for example, buys a lot, they're paying anywhere from twelve dollars to $15,000 per front foot to buy a lot, to build a home on. So let's 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 look at that number. 
a 50 by 100 foot lot, linear foot, $12,000 per front foot. And that's actually considered a pretty good deal. I've heard lots selling as high as 15,000 per front foot. So at 50 foot lot, 15,000 a front foot equals $750,000 for that lot. Then they've got to build a 2,000 square foot home on that lot at $200 a foot minimum. That's right. another $400,000. So now they're into 1.15 million or 1.25 million, I should say, excuse me, um, just to construct a home on that 50 foot lot. The unique thing about our region is there are homes all over the place that are on 40 and 50 by 100 foot lots that have existing homes on them. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't doubt that these big institutions are playing a real life game of monopoly, right? where they're going to buy rows and rows and rows and rows of homes that are on 50 foot lots, 50 foot lots, 50 foot lots. And with, again, the intensification mandate that the provincial government has, what's stopping them from coming in and having a, a plan to demolish all these homes in the long run and create multiple story housing or row housing or stack housing, which we're seeing in our region. And, and again, I'm not speaking that this is a negative I'm, because look, this is one way to create more housing, mm -hmm. but there is such a, um, there's such an equal number of uh, uh, pricing now that didn't exist before. Before it used to be land cost used to be much, much cheaper than what a home with the land would be. Now it's equal. So, you know, we've seen that happen in Toronto, Milton, Mississauga, uh, maybe not so much Milton, but Etobicoke, where they were, you know, that story and a half uh, wartime home sitting on a 80 foot lot, all of a sudden disappears. And now there's two 5,000 square foot homes on 40 foot lots that appear. Well, yeah. I, I would say that we're going to see more and more some of that's already happening in our region, but I think right. we're going to see more of that. And these institutional buyers are going to come up and gobble up a lot more of those types of properties where they can have that ability to convert to development lands. And, and I think probably some people out there would say, you know, there's the, the other concern that goes along with that is uh, the idea of pride of ownership. If you own your own home and you take care of your yard and you do all of those kinds of things. And it is your castle. We've talked about this before. If, if instead you've got an institutional view of things, you're coming in and saying, okay, well, we're going to be able to tear down the old wartime home, put up these, these other uh, spots. Does this pride of ownership in some ways kind of go out the window with that Faisal? Yeah, and, and to a large extent, we're seeing that even in brand new subdivisions, we're talking where there's 3,000 square foot homes, you can drive through some of these subdivisions in Cambridge, Kitchener, Waterloo, and you will see that the streets look literally like parking lots. Mm -hmm. And they look like parking lots because folks have gone ahead and put apartments in the basement, right. rented out several rooms in the home. And look, I get it. If you've got a pay their mortgage or put food on the table. And this is the only way you're going to do it. But you drive through some of these subdivisions and there is absolutely zero pride of ownership. You're it, it, you know, for lack of a better term, it looks like a luxurious ghetto of mm. just cars mm. and the landscaping isn't done. The fencing isn't up. There's no trees. It's just a, this massive parking lot of, of, of cars and homes and, and just, just disarray right throughout and you think wow you know what is ha happening in these subdivisions but it's also out of necessity and right. and unfortunately we're going to see more of that 
Absolutely. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Because that's where, that's where we're at. If, if you don't have, you know, you need that income to, to pay the bills and all of those other things too, something has to give at some point. If yes. someone comes to you and, and they're looking to, uh, to get themselves uh, into the, into the whole, uh, the whole business of, of home ownership and everything else too, what, what sort of income does someone need in order to get themselves a mortgage these days? So with these rates and the rising rates, you know, like to get a five or six hundred thousand dollar mortgage, you have to have a household income of between one seventy five to two hundred thousand dollars. So that's a significant income that you have to have in order to just take care of your principal interest and taxes on your home. That's before you've driven a car or put food on the table or clothes on your back uh, or paid for any other luxuries. So that just is just to get by. So that's a significant amount of inc household income. And, you know, if you look at if you're a young couple just graduating from university, getting your first job, that might be combined. You might be in that range. And that's yeah. going to take some time. And you haven't really saved up any down payment yet. That's and I, that's where we find and and we know that we've got that sort of that generational piece where those people that are in their their you know early to mid twenties even into their thirties where they're saying I, I might not ever be able to get into the market and that's that's awful to have that as as a as, as something that's uh, you know your reality but um, you know it, it, if we come back to it and say there's got to be other ways that uh, that we can deal with those things. You've talked a bit about this, uh, actually, in your in your book, uh, The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. Um, again, available on Amazon, on Audible, on Kindle as well, too. You talk about a number of different investment strategies. Would there be some investment strategies that you would that you would sort of uh, describe and, and, and share with with young people that are just getting started? Yeah, I, I, and, I, and, I, and I share the journey that I had as a young person at the age of 18 with no money. Um, and what I did was that I really believe in, in multi-level partnering. And what I mean by that is bringing in other people to help you. It could be your mom and dad. And, and then if, if mom and dads are listening, I think this is, you know, and, and it's too bad that there isn't any teaching in schools, you know, financial literacy is such an important tool. And I know that that's coming into our school system now. But if you look at what needs to be done today, it's like, take, you know, stay at home, save up your money, get mom and dad to help you take a percentage ownership. And I say this to mom and dad all the time. I said, look, you've got equity in your home, extract some of that equity, buy a home, A, it's going to help and rent it out and it's going to help your child when they're of age to get a little bit of a start in life because by the time they graduate and the cost of items that are out there right now they can't buy today i can't i can only imagine what it's going to be in another 15 or 20 years um, so why not plant the seed today and even if they've got a five percent ownership or a ten percent ownership at least they're going to now have the responsibility of of knowing that they've got something to work towards and pay off and also it gives mom and dad some revenue at their retirement because on one hand, the tenant that's living there is paying down their mortgage, right. their equity is increasing, 
their income will increase eventually. So they can live through that on right through retirement and, and at least have something to leave behind for their children that are going to struggle. There's no question. Our children are going to have a tough time um, building any sort of wealth. So it really is our responsibility as parents to sort of look ahead and say, okay, what can I do today? Look, you're investing in mutual funds. You're investing in RSPs. But is the return really there? You know, people have taken a real haircut in their portfolios. The tangible assets, the uh, real estate assets, bricks and mortar, this is something that you can always count on. And I'm not saying to take your money out of those assets, mm -hmm. but I say to diversify a little bit and start putting some money into real estate. But show your children now what to do. And, and, and if it's not mom and dad you're partnering it with, I've seen a lot of young people partner with their friends right. and they'll buy a property, right. they'll rent it out. When the appreciation occurs, they can split it or one of them can buy the other one out or take their share. But this is a good way to at least be in the game and not sit on the sidelines while everybody else is benefiting from these gains and you're renting and paying someone else's, you're paying someone else's mortgage anyways. Why not pay your own? Great point. And that idea of there, where there's a will, there's a way, whether it's, you know, the bank of mom and dad to help you out a little bit, or at least get them to help you get in the game, or you, you sit down with, with uh, uh, some other partners that are, are willing to, uh, to, to make this happen. Um, it gets you, it gets your foot in the door. That's for sure. We'll take a final break here on ask the experts. When we come back, uh, Faisal and I are going to spend a little bit of time about, uh, doing some estate planning and, and making sure that we're taking care of all of those other pieces um, when we have the opportunity to do so. Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today, Faisal Suziwala, also known as Canada's top real estate broker. Listeners, if you would like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555 or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Before the break, Faisal, we were talking about uh, young folks getting into the game, getting their, their feet wet, taking a look at, uh, at home ownership and all of those other pieces when it comes to investment. If we look at, at the, the other end of the spectrum, the other end of the rainbow, uh, the idea of estate planning, we know that we have an aging population. Um, are people estate planning? And if they are, what sorts of things are they taking care of right now? Sadly, you know, people think about estate planning at, at an age where it's almost too late. You know, they, they start hitting that 60-year mark and they're like, oh, you know, I should probably think about estate planning. And that's when they're looking at their, you know, 25-year-old or 30-year-old living in their basement saying, how's this kid ever going to afford a home? What am I going to do? So it's kind of getting late at that point, but it's never too late. I've got an investor who's 80 years old and he's still investing, uh, which is, which is, you know, really inspirational when I see that happening, but the majority of people um, think about just day to day, but they're not thinking about the small acts that they can do today that can create a huge uh, portfolio for them later on in life. My rule was always taking 20% of my income and putting it aside until I saved up 20% to put down for 20 years. Right. So 20 to 20 to 20. And I actually have a chapter in my book that talks about 20 to right. 20. So, and what that means is that you want to be able to have a property paid off in 20 years. So if you could put 20% down, 
amortize it over 20 years, right. have it paid off in 20 years. And let's just imagine if you're 25 years old today, by 45, if you have one property paid off, imagine the, the, the leverage that you have just in one property. Now, if you do that every couple of years, all right, every couple of years, if you can save up or take the equity out of one property, yes, it will prolong. And depending on your age, it will prolong when that property will get paid off. But if you're able to just use that formula and continue using that formula until such time that you have a portfolio which replaces your day-to-day -day income without you leaving your home. That's the idea behind it. And, and I go into a lot of detail in my book about how to achieve that. And, and, and I speak to people about that all the time. It's just consistency. There's no magic sauce here that you're going to just snap your fingers and it's just going to happen. It's consistency over time creates this portfolio and it creates success. And if you can do this and you can be disciplined and focused on doing this, it doesn't matter which market you're in. If you can just continue, because you'll never look back five years from today and say, I'm so glad I didn't buy back then. Right. Every five years, you're going to look back and say, I wish I would have done it back then. Now, the idea behind this is, as we were talking before the break, is to create replacement income so that you can retire and not change the way you live. So if you're used to three vacations a year, you're used to driving a nice car, you're used to eating out, whatever, because your income allowed you to do all of those things. Well, your passive income that you're going to create through generational wealth and creating this generational wealth through, through these investment portfolios, not only is going to give you a healthy retirement income, it's going to give you a portfolio that's fully paid off that you can leave behind for your children and give them a head start in life. Right. But not only that, you can create and, and, you know, really, this is an accountant question where there's what's called a family trust. Mm -hmm. And you can create a family trust that will be secure. There's some tax incentives in doing that. And I would encourage anyone that has a portfolio or is creating a portfolio. And we've had in past shows, we've brought on um, uh, one of my good friends, Kayum, um from BDO to come and speak about uh, tax planning and estate planning and family trust. And I would encourage to either reach out to someone like that or to reach out to your own accountant and get some advice because there not only is there some safety and security that your kids don't blow your money after you're gone, um, you know, and, and that's that's you know, we, we spend our entire life creating something and you want to make sure you know there's generations that build and then there's generations that spend. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, all of a sudden your kid's driving around in a Ferrari because uh, that's what you left them. Uh, but, you know, you want to create uh, you want to create some security and sustainability for your family and know that you're leaving them with a legacy as well that they can. And I and I talk extensively about this in my book and, and actually have a complete roadmap on how to create that generational wealth that they can live off of and you can live off of as well. And, and I suppose when you're setting that 20% aside, it gets to the point where not that you're not thinking about it, but you're not, you're not missing it, right? You're saying I'm, I'm living on 80% or I'm able to do it with this amount. And that is, that's for down the road. That's going to be able to, uh, to help out, not just, not just my family or, or, or my, my circumstances, but that all also generations that come after me as well too. It's, yeah, that's it, it, is, it, is, it is a challenge. It is a challenge. There's no question to save that 20%. But, you know, uh, 
unfortunately, we're living in a society where we want instant gratification. We want mm -hmm. it now. If you can just take a step back and say, you know what, I won't take it now so I can have abundance later. That is really where you're going to, to see the benefits of what you're doing today is going to come back tenfold later on. And I would think too, that if, if you leave it and you're talking about, you know, waiting until you're somewhere in your sixties or seventies, probably a part of that is as well as that if you're older, you, emotions are going to be in, in, involved in the decisions more so than when you're younger, when you're younger, you can look at something as a problem that needs to be solved. And you're able to, you're able to do that. Um, when you, when you're, you're trying to play catch up when you're older, you're always, you're always sort of behind the eight ball and, and emotions are always in, 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 in involved in those decisions that you're making as well. Yeah, as you get older, you become risk adverse, right? You're like, okay, I've, I've gone this long, you know, I, I, I've been conservative for this long, why am I going to risk it all now? Uh, whereas when you're younger, you can take those chances, but those are calculated chances and they're, they're thoughtful. And it's important to reach out to people that are actually doing it. And I, and I say this to my kids, that you're going to be the average of the three to five people that you surround yourself with. So take advice from good people that have achieve something, whether it's a, whether it's uh, financial or spiritual or physical or whatever the successes they've, they've achieved, you know, surround yourself with people and take advice from those people because they've obviously done something right in their lives to get to where they're at. And I've got to ask this question as well, too, just kind of out of the blue. Does Faisal Suziwala spend all of his time looking at and thinking yeah, I could buy that. Yeah, I could sell that. Do you look at properties, even when you're just, you know, you're out for a walk? Are you, is it constantly in your mind to think about, yeah, I, this is what I do. I change the landscaping. I put some shrubs there. Is that, is that how your mind works? Or you oh, give yourself a break sometimes? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I eat, live, sleep, breathe what I do. And, uh, you know, my, my wife will, will, will attest to this, that there are times that I will wake up in the middle of the night with a thought and I will write that thought down so I don't forget. And the next morning, I will, in fact, I, I bought a property back in 2000 because I dreamt of it. Wow. And this sounds really weird, but I dreamt of it and yep. I dreamt of what I could do. And later on that week, I ended up buying that property. So it's, it's just one of those things that, and, and you know what, not to sound really quirky here, but you know, you sort of put it out there into the universe and it sort of just comes back to you somehow. And, and that's been my way of living. And uh, I'm a little bit of a visionary. I've done some things that people are just looking at me and shaking their heads saying, this is never going to work. And, and sometimes it works. And uh, uh, I've had, I've uh, been fortunate to have more wins than losses, but I've had mm -hmm. enough losses and failures, but I've learned from those as well. And that's a great point. I heard someone say the other day, someone said, have you failed? He said, of course I failed. And I, and I, and I loved it because it allowed me to, uh, to be successful the next time, right? You have to learn from those things for sure. Uh, Fossil, I want to thank you so much again for coming on the show today. We always have such a great conversation. Uh, your knowledge and your passion, your understanding of what, what people are going through. Uh, it's, it's always visible when we have these chats and uh, I know that we're heading into the new year and I'm, I'm hopeful, uh, fingers crossed, and I'm pretty sure we're going to do this again, aren't we? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brock. Always love being on your show, and it's, it's great uh, talking to you again today. Happy to have you here. Uh, that was Faisal Susie Walla, Canada's top real estate broker, recently published author of The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. Luckily for us, someone willing to share his thoughts 
on the current real estate market as well, too. Big thank you to our technical producer, Adam, today. He pushed all the right buttons. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. You've been listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570.